also come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome back to Capital Ideas. I say welcome back because I'm guessing this isn't your first visit. But if you've managed to miss the first 14 years and just dropped in today because some algorithm decided we should meet, great. You might be the most important listener to this particular episode. As I say every time, we call this Capital Ideas because it's the podcast where members of the Majority House Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down for a few minutes at the Capitol and talk about ideas. The Democratic lawmaker talking into the mic today is 3rd District Representative Marcus Riccelli. The 3rd comprises the heart of Spokane, Washington, and that's where Marcus was born and raised. We'll learn more about him in the next few minutes, so let's get this show on the road. We recorded this on Groundhog Day of 2023, and here goes. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative Marcus Riccelli. You're from the 3rd District in the heart of Spokane, Washington, and I appreciate you coming by. I'm excited to be here and chat with you. I know you kind of rushed for time today. There's a lot of things going on, including some floor action going to begin any minute. But while you're here, I want to talk about a few things that I know are key to your priorities for this session and really key to the caucus priorities. Let's jump right in. School meals. This has been a topic that has been tweaked and finessed over the years, but you're basically going that last mile with the bill you're sponsoring. Tell us about that bill. Yeah, it's really been uh, an effort to understand the healthcare perspective. Food is health. And when we're looking at social drivers of health, um, we know kids are not going to thrive. Students are not going to thrive if they don't have access to nutritious meals. We saw during the pandemic when the federal government provided the summer meals program year round uh, and basically universal meals that, um, Childhood hunger was reduced, and we need to be a a hunger-free Washington, particularly for our children. This is one of the biggest steps I think we can take to doing that. I also think it's a middle-class tax cut for a lot of folks. Inflation has been hitting them, and uh, the ability to make uh, meals available will help parents not have to make choices. And then finally, from a mental health standpoint, for a long time we saw the impacts of lunch shaming when we separate out kids. You're in the free and reduced lunch line, you're not, et cetera. And that has long-term effects. So I think that that's taking feeding kids off the table is something that that I'm committed to. And I know a number of my caucus members are. I work with a group called the Food Fighters and um, it's been a priority. And this is actually kind of the culmination of a series of bills I've passed to continue to move us in this direction. I don't think we've said specifically in a two-sentence description, what does this bill do? This bill would ensure that every student showing up, our 1.1 million plus students, will have access to free nutritious meals every day and breakfast and lunch in a lot of cases. That's a pretty ambitious bill. How is it going? I think it's going well. We know it's a complicated reimbursement function from the federal government on some of this piece and helps us reduce our part of the state costs. But what I found out four years ago, there was a a program that we were 44th in the country in taking advantage of. 44th, and we were leaving dollars on the table to feed kids. So we've gone from 400,000 plus students having access to 600, 700,000 students now having access to universal meals. And I want to close that gap, but, you know, we can also get help from our federal partners if they would, in the next farm bill, increase the uh, reimbursement rate of the community eligibility provision, that would help us. But but really, it's a funding 
piece. It's about $88 million a year to make sure all kids are fed. And I think that's an amazing investment. I don't think there's anything more important we could do. Nutritious food is a key component of the health and well-being of children. And, and uh, this is an effective step. And I've been surprised at the bipartisan support and the understanding for the importance of this. $88 million would be a whole lot to any of us. But when you look at it in relation to the state budget and the benefit, uh, it seems like a pretty economical step to take. So that could be why some of the Republicans are sort of breaking tradition and saying, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, and I just I ran across one of my uh, Republican colleagues uh, who was coming from committee, and he was talking about that. And he said, this is the direction we're headed, talking about the how this kind of food can move to be locally sourced, how we can help our local growers. Um, so I think it's a win-win as well. It's not just about providing access to food. I'm looking long-term, too, to making sure that's locally grown, making sure that that's potentially scratch and modified scratch cooking so that we're moving to healthy food as well. This bill obviously would affect, in a positive way, the health of a lot of kids, but it happens to be in the education committee. But speaking of health, you now are the chair of the Health Care and Wellness Committee here in the House of Representatives. That's kind of a change of your direction. You've been the Democratic whip here in the House for several years that position is in caucus leadership. You're now moving into leadership in a policy direction. I know you've been vice chair in that committee, and in your, your non-legislative life, you're in healthcare. But this does seem like kind of a change. So how are you adapting? Did you get a little whiplash here? <laughs> well, you know, I really enjoyed my time uh, six years as the House Majority Whip working with other members. But over the last few years, I just noticed the policy interests that I had, my work outside of the legislature, just seeing how much social determinants of health impact um, people's lives and how they can thrive or not uh, was crucial that this opportunity came up. Our previous chair had served since 1999, and I thought, you know, I'm kind of a go-with-the-gut type guy, and my gut said, it's time to make a change, move in this uh, policy direction. I thought I was equipped. I'm very honored that the caucus... Um, has uh, presented me with this opportunity, and I take it very seriously. And I also think I bring some fresh eyes uh, to some of the problems and issues and some different issue areas. I've worked a lot on telehealth, oral health. So these are some of the things that, that I can bring that experience to help highlight. And I should point out that the previous chair retired. You didn't get in there and kick her out. That's so, right. Yeah, uh, no. Um, we called the, the previous chair, Representative Cody, the commander. I trained under her. But I also, you know, we had some disagreements, and, and that's great. And so I think, you know, bringing a new perspective to the table is important. Um, I also think, you know, being somebody from east of the Cascades, we have different challenges, and, and I can bring that perspective. The same way that I felt it was good on around our leadership table to be part of that, to, to make sure that one Washington is being represented uh, continuously. And so i very grateful for that opportunity around the leadership table, but very excited about this um, new move. It's just so important. The district I represent particularly has some of the families of the most that are the most impoverished in our state. So looking at how they interact with Medicaid, healthcare is such a big piece of our budget coming out of COVID, behavioral health issues. There's just so much on the table and, and it can be overwhelming, but luckily we have a lot of experts, not only in the legislature, but in the community. And now's the time to really be thinking about how we move forward as a state to make a healthier Washington. Now, one of your highest profile healthcare related bills has to do with reproductive freedom and the medical professionals who work in that field here in Washington state. Tell us a little bit about that bill and also kind of catch us up on how it's going. Yeah, I, mean, I think while other states are passing laws to severely restrict abortion access, we in Washington and, and, and my colleagues, we're introducing bills to ensure reproductive care is protected 
for anyone seeking help in our state. That's particularly important to me as someone who's in a border community. We definitely are seeing patients cross state borders to make sure they can have access to safe abortion care, to make sure they have full access to care. But part of that is, you know, we have providers who, with some of this, these recent restrictive laws in other states, could see their licenses in jeopardy. We want to make sure that if you're a healthcare provider, if you're doing something that's legal in Washington state, that you are protected and safe. And that includes treating patients from other states. We also want to say, if you want to come to Washington and you want to get a license as a healthcare provider, and you have something on your record because you were performing abortion care, that we aren't going to hold that against you. And we want you to come practice here if, if, that, if you so choose to do so. What's the status of that bill now? So the bill has moved out of committee. Um, it actually got bipartisan support. Uh, so I think there's a recognition, even if some of the members on the other side might not necessarily agree with abortion, they don't want to see our providers who are doing everything that is legal in Washington state have any disciplinary actions um, come up against them. Staying in the medical realm, because you are so identified with that issue here, you've got several bills. Another one has to do with dental therapists and dental therapy in the state of Washington. This has been an ongoing issue for for years. What are you doing right now? Well, all health starts with oral health, and I feel like oral health in our state is really where behavioral health was five years ago. We need to push forward with integration to make sure that uh, people have access, and we see particularly with our Apple Health population, those on Medicaid, they really struggle to find providers that can provide them the checkups and the care they need. And that can have devastating consequences, including having people land in the emergency room. So I, um, the last couple years uh, and the previous chair, because we're in COVID, didn't really engage in scope of practice issues. I've opened the door on a number of those. One of those is dental therapy. It's a very scaled back bill to allow dental therapy to um, go forward at some of our community health clinics with C uh, largely Medicaid population. It's a smaller step than I would like. Someone say a smaller bite, but it's one I think in the right direction. I'm working with both advocates for this and the dental association to see if we can navigate an agreement and come to a way. I don't think this is the silver bullet. We need to increase reimbursement rates for dentists. We need to make sure people have navigators if they need them to get them into oral health. And we need to, again, move oral health into fully integrated care, which is the goal. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to highlight this kind of on the tails of some of my other work. Maybe six years ago, I created a, a bucket in the uh, capital budget, uh, which is our infrastructure budget for dental access, which has been wildly successful and we have kept going. And so it's one thing to make sure that we have the places where people can go and the dental operatories. We also got to make sure we have the workforce. And so that's what I'm committed to. And um, I'm excited about this conversation and I'm hopeful that we can maybe changed the trajectory, which has been very divisive and has not come to any kind of resolution. I can't let you get out of here without mentioning that you really are responsible in many ways for the fact that there is now the Elson Floyd Medical School at WSU. This would be the crowning achievement for many people's careers. Can you update us on the status of the medical school now? Has it been doing what it was established to do, which is increasing the number of, of physicians in eastern Washington? Yeah, you know, I was really proud to pick up the baton. A lot of our community leaders for years um, tried to move forward with the second medical school in our state. And uh, when it came to fruition uh, through the bill that I passed, you know, that was just the first step. Seeing the white coat ceremonies with these students coming, we've put money to expand the class, has been exhilarating. And these students are getting experiences all across our state. And they are all Washingtonians, uh, which has been something amazing. There was a commitment by the school to bring in folks from communities in Washington to really encourage them to 
serve those communities, and it's working. And so as we go forward, more docks is important. We need more residencies to allow them to practice. What I like about the mission of the WSU Medical School, it's really focused on primary care in underserved and rural areas, and that's a huge need as we move forward. A lot of people will say, why do you care in Spokane about those rural communities succeeding? You represent an urban district. And I would say, one, I I care because that's an obligation as a state legislator. We look at statewide policy. But Spokane dries up. Those communities around Spokane aren't going well. And one of the quickest ways we see smaller communities and rural communities failing to thrive is when they uh, lose access to primary care. Workforce right now is a crisis in in every industry there is here in Washington and really throughout the country. In terms of medical workforce, how are we doing on nurses? How are we doing on on other medical professionals who are key to the field but may not be attending a medical school? Yeah, we're not doing what we need to be doing. A lot of folks are coming together to focus on the pipeline of the next generation of those that can go into this workforce. Um, I'm also concerned about that not being a revolving door. There's been significant burnout through COVID. So we need more folks to go into nursing. We need to pay our nursing faculty better so there's more educators out there. But it's not just about the docs and nurses. It's about the phlebotomists. It's about the dental assistants. It's about all these different levels. I really enjoy seeing the, the different fields care for folks like nurse practitioners and PAs. We need to have this full system. Again, it's not just going to be about docs and nurses. It's about the need for training at every level, MAs, medical assistants. Um, and we can do unique things. This isn't about two-year and four-year degrees. This is also about apprenticeships and on-the-job training. We need to continue to invest in that pipeline, and I think we're committed to, and we also need to make sure there's not a revolving door. And by the way, that also includes making sure people have safe working conditions and are getting paid fairly. I wish you the best on all of these. I think floor action is probably about to begin if if it hasn't already begun, so I'm going to have to let you go. Please, now that I'm not whip, I don't want to get in trouble by the new one. (laughs) Right. But I'll tell you what, we have barely scratched the surface of Marcus Wichelli. And so I want to make a commitment now that before the session April. ends in April, I want to do this again. And, and maybe we'll talk about how some of these bills turned out. But I also want to talk about some things that we haven't even touched upon. I'd love to do that. I think uh, talking about the policies and the policy interventions that can make healthcare work in our state will be good. And we also have one of the most important things we're here to do, and that's the budget. And there'll be a lot of investments we're looking to in, in healthcare in Washington. I'd love to chat with you. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. We've been talking with Representative Marcus Riccelli, chair of the House Health Care and Wellness Committee, third district state representative beginning his 11th session here in uh, Olympia. And this has been Capital Ideas. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks, Dan. Well, there's another Capital Ideas for the archives. If you got something out of the last 13 minutes, you can subscribe to our podcast and listen to them all. You can do that on the usual podcast platforms or by visiting the House Democratic Caucus website at housedemocrats.wa.gov and clicking on the media button at the top of the page. What we talk about here is your state government, and the more you know about how it works and who your public servants are, the better off you'll be. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.